Welcome to the Packet Pushers Priority Queue. I visited the 98th meeting of the Internet Engineering Task Force in Chicago, courtesy of Huawei, who helped to fund travel for no reason other than to help us get the good word out about what the IETF is doing. And to that end, we're speaking with several working group leaders and other IETF participants about what's on their minds and other projects, as there's a lot of interesting people here at the IETF. Today being one of those uh, episodes where it's uh, it's interesting people that we've run into, and what we're going to talk about isn't necessarily uh, uh, an IETF project-related kind of thing, but those sorts of people are here in the room, and so we're going to chat about free-range routing. Free-range routing, and this is a, a fork of the Quagga project, so... Uh, uh, let's go around the table and introduce who's here. First up is uh, Russ White. Russ White, LinkedIn, Routing Geek. Yeah, we know you. We yeah, know you. The show. Yeah. It hurt when you ran into me, Ethan. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Winter has also joined us. Yeah, Martin Winter at NetDev Open Source Routing. i mostly known for testing Quagga, breaking it all the time, running CI system. Very good. And then Donald Sharp. I work at, I'm sorry, I'm Donald Sharp. And I work at Cumulus Networks. Uh, basically, anything routing, I do it. Anything routing, you do it. Okay, fair enough. So free-range routing, then, is a fork of Quagga. So let's start at the beginning, Donald, with you. Uh, just for, for in case there's some people in the packet page audience who are not familiar with Quagga, what is it? So it's an open-source implementation of a full routing stack for all of Unix. So, so when you say full routing stack, what does it include? So BGP, OSPF, is, is RIP, RIP NGD. V2, V3 of OSPF2, I forgot that. Okay. Um, and, of course, the, the underlying rib to install the routes into the kernel. And it's used in a lot of things. I mean, Quagga shows up all over the place. Yeah, so a, a, something people might be familiar with is OpenWRT, I believe, uses it. Right, uh, that's uh, the operating system that a lot of people use on their home routers yeah. type of thing. Yeah, yes. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to add this. Obviously, also used a lot in large cloud networks, especially when people use like virtual routers. There is a quite a large user base. Uh-huh. So various lot, large cloud networks are interesting. In and then a lot of the white box area where people look for routing stacks, that's where frequently Quagga is looked at it too. Yes, to be specific, Cumulus Networks uses the Quagga slash FRR route and stack. And, and, and really the big point here is Quagga is not some obscure little bit of code open source project that someone does for fun. This is serious business that people with serious networking needs uh, run and, and use. It shows up in a variety of different products all over the place. So it's a big deal. Okay, so free range routing then is a fork of Quagga. Now fork in the open source community, at least in my mind, that's kind of a big deal. If you decide you're going to officially fork a, a project that is that's well, sort of serious. Uh, so can we talk about w- what that means and what, uh, you know, why uh, Quagga was forked and uh, we've now got free-range routing? So, so the, the real goal was to change the way we developed. We wanted to, have, to work on GitHub. We wanted the ability to have continuous integration. And, and, and we also wanted the, to have a better testing platform I mean, the main idea was really with the whole pull request working. So it's much better for testing. We can automate much more. So not just using with the mailing patches into a mailing list. Somebody tests it. They're not getting tracked. Now with the pull request, there's a good tracking. We can see immediately if things failing. People can comment it. It's tracked. Things go in. We can make sure contributions are not getting dropped and they actually make it into the code. 
Got it. Okay. So in other words, you wanted to take, take Quag as it was, fork it, and then now you can build new processes around development. Uh, things weren't happening as quickly with the, pro, uh, the Quagga project as maybe some folks wanted, and so they, they took this opportunity to build out free-range routing. Okay. Uh, so a couple of things here. Then uh, who, who are the interested parties? Who are the companies behind the FRR fork? So Cumulus Networks, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn has been helping LinkedIn. us with Russ. Uh, NetDef with Martin. Uh, Lou Berger has been involved with, I believe he works at it, LabIn. LabIn, yeah. Um, yeah. And let's see. There, Six Winds. Six Winds. Uh, uh, Vincent and Philippe. I'm going to, I don't remember their names, last names off the top of my head. And we've had um, a couple, some really good work from um, Volta.io.net as well. Mm-hmm. Are there any other providers? I was thinking there were other providers as well. Maybe there's not. There are a few more providers, at least individual contributors. But in other words, there's already a, a decent groundswell of people that want this to happen, and they're already behind it, and they're already contributing and taking part. This is still open source software, though, right? Yes. Okay. I mean, the fork, uh, same as Quagga, is basically on the GPL v2 license, and I don't think that will ever change because... There are so many contributors on it that it's just legally not possible to change anymore. <laughs> if you wanted to commercialize it, right? <laughs> Too tough. Too tough. Uh, okay, um, so now there's still the Quagga project. It still exists. So if someone's making changes to the Quagga project, is that going to have anything to do with uh, FRR? Or are those completely separate trains now? It's completely separate trains, uh, completely separate development, and... and uh, completely separate process. Completely separate process, and I don't right. really see mm-hmm. any... And different contributors and even different routing stacks at this point because things are being added to free-range routing the, the, currently. That yeah, agreed. Taking a patch either way. is going to be very difficult. It would be a, 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 a lot of work. You're basically re-engineering it at this point in right. time. It mm. basically depends uh, based on it that we already have so many changes in there and enhancements and everything that it's quite uh, diverse, the code base at this time. Okay. Well, let's get to the nerd stuff. Um, is free range routing a package I could download today and use, or are we still kind of too early days? Uh, if you are using some of the new Snap packages on Ubuntu or on some other platform who supports Snap, then you can go to the Snap store and download it today. Okay. If you are expecting it to any other distribution to have the classic Debian package or FreeBSD package, that's a bit early. That's normally quite a slow process to get in the distribution. Okay, and then if I've downloaded this and I've got it, what have I got? Uh, what features have I got in here? Let's start uh, start talking through them. I mean, BGP for starters, right? I mean, there's a lot of features that we've put in um, AdPath. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe we want to talk first about the basic features. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give people that are unfamiliar the, you so, know, the higher I mean, level bullet let's points. Let's just look for the routing protocols. We have, like, basically, um, we start out with uh, old RIP, RIP and Chief, uh, RIP version 1, RIP. Version 2, obviously, RIP-NG, which is the same thing there. We have um, OSPF v2, which is for the IPv4. We have the OSPF v3 for v6. We have ISIS, uh, obviously, it, dual stack. These are full uh, full implementations of yes. those? Yeah, okay. Um, then there is BGP uh, in there, obviously, for v4 and v6, too. Uh, then there is now new in the free-range routing. We have LDP with uh, some static uh, labels and stuff. Uh, two in the Zebra part. Zebra is the RIP part for like the free range routing part, or also for Quagga. Okay, so so I can do some 
I, I can start to build out, or I can include a FRR node in my MPLS environment. Yes, the disadvantage or there is obviously there are some kernel requirements, especially if you're on Linux, you need at least the Linux 4.5 kernel hmm. on it, which not that many distributions have at this time. Okay. And and there are future plans for things like EIGRP that we're talking about. Yeah, I've and got basic EIGRP for my neighbors. It's not ready to go in, but it's but 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 it's working on it. And Babel might be coming back to free range routing. I hope to get that in. As I well. hope to get that hey, in. As hang well. on, back up. Okay, EIGRP. Yeah, now I know that that was. Uh, made available as an informational draft a while back by Cisco. Is there a lot of demand for that? People interested in EIGRP especially? I don't know if I care there's a lot of demand. So so some of my history is I worked on EIGRP many years ago, ah. and it's kind of my little pet project right ah. now. <laughs> okay. right. So. right. So this is kind of the cool thing about open source projects like this, is that like Babel, which really is a home net thing by and large, and EIGRP, which is for Donald and I is old history and is a cool protocol that not many people know about, is it allows you to put things into code and run them or play with them and learn them. And, and I think that's a really cool thing about it. It's not just, you know, there's the production side, but there's also the, this is, this is kind of neat. There's a lot of neat things going on here. Hmm. So I think one thing we've also forgotten is uh, NHRPD, which will allow you to do DMVMP type setups. So with the, right, you've got an NHRP daemon in there, so you can, as you said, build out a DMVPN environment if you want, which most people think of that as a, as a Cisco thing, but has, has come up on uh, other podcasts we've done recently. No, in fact, it isn't. Um, all of the technology that DMVPN is built on are, uh, are open, open source standardized, if you will, uh, protocols. And so if someone wants to build out DMVPN, they can, and you have that ability with FRR. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was such a Agreed. long answer. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I'm doing about that one, Donald. <laughs> okay, so so BGP, OSPF V2, V3, uh, RIP all the way from the beginning to, uh, to NG, uh, LDP, um, NHRP. Uh, so we got all of, the, all of that you know, core gut functionality. Now, there's Zebra in there as well, which help me understand what that is because I was thinking of it was Zebra back in the day as its own routing uh, daemon really so that's kind of a bit confusing because Zebra originally was like the whole daemon and that Quarka was forked from Zebra long time back but Jeez, now okay. Zebra is basically a component of Quarka or the free range routing as well which is basically the RIP component so you have each routing protocol which sits on top of like talks to Zebra for uh, going to the FIP uh, then so Zebra is basically the RIP part and then you will all have the kernel or whatever for the FIP. Right. So, so basically when you install a route, it goes from BGP or the routing protocol. It gets uh, called into Zebra. It does its administrative distance and everything else. And then it gets injected into the rib through a TCP type of interface. And, or not, I'm sorry, into Netlink. the kernel. And then the kernel pulls Netlinks to get down to the ASIC or whatever forwarding engine there is. That sounds horribly inefficient to me. Am I wrong? No, that's actually pretty much the way most... Network operating systems work. I you, mean, you need an arbiter to sit in the middle, and you know. oh yes, you always need an arbiter to sit in the middle. The so, rib is 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 crucial. Someone has to make the decision about which route's going to win. Also, you also sure. need the ability okay. to to pass up to the other route and demons. Right, right. Okay, okay. So, so we're talking. Zebra's got that role. You you really clarified something there when you said someone's got to make a decision about who is actually getting pushed into the fib. So that that is Zebra's role. Yeah, it's, it. it's it's static routes and. And the ability to push routes into the kernel and to disseminate the, that information to all the other rod and demons. Right. Okay. So, so when you resolve an XTOP in BGP, 
you get a route with the next top in BGP that you've learned through OSPF. Mm-hmm. You don't go to OSPF daemon to find out what that route is. You go to Zebra because it actually is the routing table. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's how you yep. do your nope. resolution. So I get that's, it. Yeah, yeah, that's what Zebra's role is. In I'm this caught point. up. I'm caught up. Now. You're caught I get up. It. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you you oh. finally next half resolved. Now, there's some other neat features in here, like a VRF light uh, is in there. Is that um, you know, VRF light, just like I would think of it in a, in a typical exactly. router implementation? It's, right? it's Linux only implementation currently. I'm not aware of BST having the ability to do VRFs. I could be wrong about that, but I'm not aware of that. Um, and only currently Zebra and BGP are VRF aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, and I think most network engineers that have worked with uh, Flight are going to be used to this. Not everything, in some iteration of some flavor of network operations that they worked on, they realized, oh, this thing I'm trying to do has yeah, no OSPF, concept yeah. of VRFs. So yeah, OSPF or ISIS doesn't have a concept of VRFs in this particular, or RIP or Not whatever. yet. Yeah, yeah, not so, yet. And, yeah, again, the point you're making, BGP does on uh, on FRR, but, uh, but none of the other ones do at this point. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that... That that's fine. That follows. I mean, I'm imagining, you know, for most folks that are going to do this, uh, BGP is likely where they would have started anyway. So, Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So when we talk about BGP, we have a whole ton of capabilities and uh, and so on. So what what are we really getting with uh, with BGP? Yes. Well, free range routing. It's the kitchen it, sink. Even yes, or the trash can. Well, I like. That. <laughs> <laughs> so so before we even go there, I, I'll just say this. What's really cool about the BGP implementation in, in free-range routing is that it's actually truly a modern implementation. This is not like some backwater, oh, somebody threw it together in five minutes or five days or whatever. I mean, Daniel has gone through and actually pulled out the, um, the scanner. So it's all event-driven. I mean, it's, it's a real, modern, scalable um, and, and when, when you said Daniel, you probably mean Daniel Walton. Yeah, Daniel Walton. Yeah, correct. yes. So, so okay. So get into that. You said modern, and you're not talking just about features. It sounds like you're talking about how it works. Yes, the the way the code is structured is actually a really nice BGP implementation. Hmm. It's it's not just whatever thrown out there. It's actually a nice BGP implementation. So really nice means efficient. What what does that mean to you? Converge fast. Handles lots of routes. I'm sure Donald could probably tell you how many routes they've tested. Or, uh, I've thrown full BGP feeds at it, and it works fine. I, so, full BGP feeds. I've tested with eight thousand peers. That's like in a special branch that I haven't actually gotten to finish yet. But because you have to do some things with uh, with the underlying threaded system to handle eight thousand sockets running at once, and most. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. So, so like typical Unix, when you use select, I'm getting really nerdy here. I'm sorry. When you select, you can only have 1,024 file descriptors. And Zebra was written that way. So, so the minute you want to have more than 1,000 peers of BGP, it won't work. So, so you have to switch to a different mechanism. And Linux kernel provides poll as well as ePoll. And both of those. But the minute you do that, you change the underlying thread in model. To some of extent, BGP itself. Of, 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 of the entire right of, of entire FRR, and that's <clears throat> not something. It, when you change a, a really basic underpinning, you have to spend 
more more time than usual making sure you didn't really, really screw something up. Yeah, but you're engineering for a very, uh, I would say, extreme case, right? I mean, how often do you end up in a you know a network scenario? Yeah, but that but I, I, the point was we were really I was really trying to say the scale is not only can we do a large number of routes, we can handle a large number of peers. Right, so. right, and, and and to that point, it is important to when you're writing code, and that's what's cool about F, about free range routing BGP is that it's written to handle these corner cases, not because it actually needs to ever support 8,000 peers. Nobody probably is ever going to do that. But by the time you've done that not. work, yes. <laughs> but by the time you've done that work, you've actually improved the performance of even five it, peers. Because so it's much. not just, it shows you where, when you do, like just taking something and throwing 8,000 peers on it, not only shows you where your performance problems are, and it shows you where you don't converge or, or don't scale. Right. And at that point in time, you have to go in and look at, well, what, what are we doing wrong? And then you fix that. And then not only have you fixed that 8,000 scale, it makes the people who are only doing 10 peers or 100 peers, it makes them that much faster as well. It makes them that much faster. Because, right, implicit in the capability of handling the 8,000, you have to fix all of these other things to make that happen, which makes, right. it, it's kind of like building a highway uh, that was designed for the military and to carry super heavy uh, That's vehicles. exactly right, yeah. But for the most part, we don't use them for that. We use them for cars that weigh far less and are, have far less of an impact on the highway. That's Can that right. highway handle everything that we uh, we throw at it? You betcha, because they've been more or less over-engineered, and right. that's not a bad thing. Yeah, right. And so that's the whole thing with taking the scanner out. So now you don't walk the BGP table when you do a next top change or something like that. It's all event-driven. So, okay, so, so let's drill into that for a minute, event-driven. So is there a message bus that it's listening for events, and an and event comes in, yep, and there's a right. reaction to it? There's yeah. like a worker thread now or something like that that it actually takes events it's, in. It's event-driven, and like you, you basically register for things to happen, and when that event happens, Happens, you 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 run a function hmm. and it does that right. So so in the old way of writing BGP, you actually had what was called a scanner, and you would actually register a change in a next hop, and then periodically you would walk the entire BGP table looking for routes that that change impacted. Is anything different? So what yeah, we right, that's yeah. exactly right. So the event driven model is when the change happens, boom, it gets propagated into BGP. So so for that example, we we have this thing called next hop tracking in Zebra. Where you BGP registers with Zebra saying, "Hey, when this when this route changes or this next top of this IP address changes underneath me, let me know." And so, so when Zebra notices someone else changes the underlying route, it will just call you call BGP back and saying, "Hey, this route's changed," and BGP will go, "Hey, that's pretty cool. I just have to fix that one." All those places mm -hmm. that determine that are only we only have to look at those BGP routes that are dependent on that next hop instead of looking at all of them. Mm -hmm. so, so, this is, so this is kind of like structural things that a really nice implementation of BGP is going to have that, like your garden variety, threw it together in five days. So, so since we've been focused on BGP, let's keep down that road. And Where do you see people actually using uh, the FRR BGP, right? Like as a route reflector, as, what would they be doing with it typically? Right now, I see a lot of people always asking about, especially in the classic SDN world, that they are building the whole network and they want to run only BGP in their network. Mm -hmm. So there are a few companies who like reconsider that now again, but I saw a lot of demand for implementation only BGP. Right. And so, so like the LinkedIn data center today runs on BGP, pretty much. That's and most most big data centers do. And would free range routing be something that you? would fit at LinkedIn in some capacity? Uh, we're looking at it, mm. yes. Right. I mean, very but, seriously. But there are a lot of, I mean, so Cumulus Networks is a data center 
network, network operating system. Yeah, so, yeah. so anyone who's bought our software and runs it, they're running probably running BGP. Hmm. So, again, know. stressing the point that this isn't just some you know fun little toy thing you mess no, around with in your lab at home. Yeah. This is this is real serious business. Yeah, uh, all grown up uh, and so on. Um, you, you know, Martin, you just mentioned SDN. You know, those data centers that are you know, running BGP, they may have an SDN layer there. Uh, is there programmability with um, uh, FRR in, in, in some way, or is it just running running the standard daemons and doing its thing that way? When you talk about programmability, there is obviously some uh, APIs which we start work. Some of them are still under construction, which we're working there to get more in. Some uh, Comolos did some nice REST API in the past for adding it to a lot of the comments. So there is some of the things coming in. So I'm not sure which specific programmability you're, like, you're asking for or something there. Well, it, I mean, it's all going to depend on specific environments, right, what people are looking for. But, I mean, I think the answer for the level of the question I want to go to is there are uh, REST APIs that are there on, on some level. There are REST are APIs. You... We are looking at more APIs outbound and northbound, basically. So from the CLI point that basically avoiding the CLI, having mm -hmm. direct programming interface in there. Uh, there. And also on the southbound, basically, for programming, forwarding planes and everything, to have a better API there too. Uh, let's talk about performance numbers then. Um, if I run this, do I run this, do I you know, build my own uh, x86 and run it on bare metal? Should I be running it as a, or a VNF? Uh, what, what's the typical deployment model? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of one of those hard things. People, wow. I mean, you talk to <laughs> exactly. So it's it's everyone. You you talk to someone who's you know and is an ISP and they peer to a bunch of people and and they use it. I've seen that. I've seen people use it in data centers. I mean, that's what that's what I do. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let's go to the peering. Let's go to the peering example I would have because that's just say all of of the both. Yeah, basically everything. So let's so go to the peering. Everyone does it different. Yeah, so the peering example is a really good one, Donald, because one really cool use for, for something like this is to spin it in a VM or something like that, and then instead of eBGP peering to your upstream or your downstream, if you're peering to a provider and you want to take full routes, instead of buying an edge box that will actually support all of those routes and putting all your eggs in that basket, you can actually multi-hop eBGP peer into a VM running free-range routing suck all your BGP routes into an x86 VM and you can actually support all of these features and stuff and then push the routes back out to the edge box and into the rest of your network if you want to, mm -hmm. which gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of what box you buy on the edge and where you're running your BGP processing. So that's, that's a perfect use case for this sort of thing um, on the edge case. You know, in the data center, of course, you would just run it on your top of rack switch and all your spines and everything else. And I, I like it when they run it on their host too. On their, yeah, the host is actually, and that's actually a really cool thing about this, is that it's running on top of Zebra, which, by the way, is implemented basically in every Linux distribution you can get or whatever. And so if you want to run this on a VM or run it on bare metal host in your data center or someplace, you just run it. Which, if you're running a Layer 3 fabric, that's that's something that we hear happening you know, more and more. People want to run BGP on the host. Right, they right. can now do multi-homing. It's, it's a huge deal at LinkedIn. I mean, we run a layer 3-only fabric, and being able to run a, a control plane on the host that's sitting at the end of that fabric makes a huge difference in the way we design and the way things work. It's much, much better. So, Russ, before you mentioned Linux, just don't forget, I mean, obviously, free-range routing doesn't work just on Linux. We spend a lot of time to make sure it also works on FreeBSD, NetBSD, OpenBSD, 
uh, Solaris mm -hmm. stuff. So basically, any Unix-like operating system should be able to run it. Right. Right. Not not Windows, but I mean that, that's a, that's a very different world. Oh, actually, actually, Unix think, now. No. So so actually, <laughs> so actually, I think with the new WSL release, it might actually run on. On I, Windows, I think you can run the VM on top of Windows with Linux. <laughs> yeah, so, no, no. so run a Linux VM inside of yeah. VirtualBox or whatever, and and then have your route. So Microsoft just announced that WSL thing where they're actually translating the kernel calls directly into Windows calls. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So, I, so you should just be able to run it on top of that. I don't think there's any. Well, I think someone would have to probably spend some time making sure. It works, yeah, but I'm but, just saying it would. But it's you know it's what, a possibility. What about running FRR on top of white box switching hardware? So like you can do this with Sonic. The SAI is uh, is there. That abstracts away a bunch of the silicon for you, and so you can do that. Is that an opportunity here for free range routing? That's exactly what we do at Cumulus. Mm. So the, the Linux kernel ABI is the interface to what how we decide to program the hardware. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're using Switch D, is that right? Yes. yes. And you're pulling off Netlinks on the kernel. There are many model, not many models to do this. There are two or three models. You mentioned Psi. There's OpenNSL as another model that does this, and there are other people that run also, ACD. I know at least from the Ubuntu folks that there are people who actually run like Ubuntu, like Linux directly on the switches, and they're actually using the snaps basically for installing the routing daemon on the switch to make that into a router. Hmm. Right. But it's going to be one of those deals where um, mixing and matching your network operating system to white box hardware does is going to depend on support. You know, what... That's Can exactly you actually right. do it? It's it's an issue that you got. And, and, and actually, a lot of the problem there is actually LEDs and fans. Oh, seriously? Seriously? It's that simple. Seriously, it really is. That's actually it, that's it's simple. Not, well, yes. okay. It's, it says it's, the guy who doesn't program these things. Right? No, no, but but seriously, it is. I mean, it's almost more of a problem than talking to the ASIC. Well, I think it's cases. more than it's it's the fans and switches. It's also layer one connectivity. Right. That's that actually is right. harder than it looks and, and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, because that's that's, that's easy to screw up. Right. You, I mean, it's a white box. You buy, you buy some random transceiver, right? It may work. It may not work. That's and and there have to be drivers for that transceiver and all that. You know, yeah. So the it's chip th and there is else. there is a lot of validation work that needs to be done. Yes, but with FRR, I mean, if uh, FRR doesn't concern itself with that because it's it's the control plane only. Right. Right. So as long as you have all of that in place, then FR can run on top of it and provide you with a control. So, so a network operating system is the totality from layer one hardware all the way up to the control plane. So, so Dell's OS X, and I'm going off of memory here, I maybe get something wrong, but OS I could 10. run FRR as a process on top of OS X? Possibly? OS 10. OS yeah. 10? OS 10, it? yeah, they call it. I believe OS so. 10. I mean, it's, you would in, fa in fact, they use Quagga. Yeah. They, they do have Quagga today, so FRR should just run. Mm. They probably would have to 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 port their port and plane manager to work with right. it, but it would exactly, exactly. It's more of a challenge for things like um, Open Switch and SnapRoute and other places where they have customized the interface. They're not using a pure straight up Zebra like interface, so it becomes more difficult. So there would need to be porting work there, but it's still possible to do. Now, this is free-range routing, and we've been talking about layer three functions. Uh, I, I know you want to get away from layers like that, Russ, but I'm, I'm going to okay. say it anyway. That's, everyone knows that's exactly fine. What I'm Everybody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> so we talked about routing daemons and so on. But what about layer two features? You know, uh, it, not one Q tagging, th would simple you, things would you, like that. Would you go away, Ethan? <laughs> <laughs> layer, so two is, layer two is evil. 
so, so here's the context <laughs> in which I asked it. There are people that are sitting here thinking, I'm coming up for a refresh, and I've been using Cisco for the last 10 years, and I'm thinking about doing something different for whatever their reasons are. Could I, and here's what they're thinking, get a white box switch, run FRR on it, and have the core set of functions I was used to having, which is going to be some uh, combination of L2 and L3? Yeah, sure. In general, yes. But, uh, <laughs> he, he says shiftily, looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, so so you, what you're really talking about is things like you know EVPN support, right? Well, EVPN support for, for some, but, but even even more simple than that, like right? lags like, is what you're thinking. Uh, LACP. So that's not part of the core functionality of FR. That, uh, that mm-hmm. again, that kind of goes back to the the, uh, the idea of a network operating system. Has to provide that. So, so, th- so think about lag this way, or LACP, and all those types of features this way. Go back to your whole thing about Zebra. Mm-hmm. To Zebra, from the bottom of Zebra up, what would a lag group look like? It would look like a single interface. To Zebra, it would. To sure. Zebra, it would. Yeah, yeah. So, from FRR's perspective, from free range routing perspective, it's a single interface. It's just a logical inter- a logical interface that's available in Zebra to shove routes across. So there's no free-range routing implications. Of, but you still have to have a dame in there that does negotiations. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yes, but, yes, but that's if not. that platform below, basically, in their Linux distribution, whatever that's adopted has that feature in there, then it's not a problem. Right. Got it. Okay. So, so I, you know, it's possible then to... You can have to dig, in other words, to see what your specific implementation and stack looks like and what the capabilities and features are. So it isn't simply you're looking for that functionality in FRR. It could be, as you put it, Martin, the uh, the, the Linux kernel may have that for you, and you, you run it there. Yeah. So in other words, you can kind of roll your own. You build your own set of modules, what it is right. that you're looking for. Yeah. Now, uh, some people are going, well, I need my spanning tree. You know, and this is where everybody's really going to you know, roll their eyes and get shifty as they look at me. No one wants to do that either, you know, especially if you're talking about running layer three all the way into the host. Who the heck wants to run spanning tree? At no point? one. Right. I was going to yeah. say, I think we should all just be quiet and let him just hand down <laughs> that spanning tree for a few minutes. They're all handing me shovels. I don't know why. <laughs> so another one of the features I noticed in, uh, in FRR as we were going through that list before we started recording, uh, JSON. So w- w- that's, that's a uh, data format. Uh, what, what am I getting in the JSON format? You're getting the ability to have machine-readable output. So one of the classic problems of people using any router or switch is that, you know, I have my show command, I type it and I get a command and I want to automate that, right? So I have to write something that parses that output and if they ever change the damn output, <laughs> I now have to go fix all my damn scripts. Yeah, in the screen scraping <laughs> world, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Everybody so, hates so that. with JSON, you don't you you design it's like it's basically JSON's key value pairs, right? Yeah, you get so you, you're talking about getting structured data back. I make yeah. a change, I get a result set back That's in the exactly JSON right. format. It's structured data that I can bring into a script in the form of fields that are predictable. I can then check values. Yeah, I mean, so and, Python and Perl both have the ability to to read JSON and turn it into the appropriate dictionary or hash, uh-huh. and you just work off it from there. And, and it's, it's actually, actually been, easy. Yeah, yeah, it's really easy, and it's great for testing. Yeah, yeah, I've done exactly that as a neophyte. Python person able to bring in JSON data and bring it into a dictionary and then work with that data. It's very straightforward. Yeah, it's great. To do. So he says it's great for testing. I'm doing some of the testing and obviously I always think I also have to do the normal output to verify that, which is actually going through the painful matching that one. Because I want to make sure if the normal output breaks or something in my 
integration system for testing. So, so there is a CLI, right? There yeah. is a CLI. And that needs to be tested. But that needs what to be we're really kind of talking about here yeah. is like, do I have, did my neighbor come up and did it have, yeah. did it hand me the right secondary addresses for PIM? I mean, for somebody right? coding it and want to test something, obviously using the JSON output is much, much easier because if we go and add another field, he may easy from the JSON output can ignore that. It doesn't like from, from a testing perspective, you need to be able to to look at the actual non-JSON output and make sure it's correct and hasn't changed. But from a from a user or usability or end user, having JSON output that I can incorporate into my script is is a lot very valuable. Mm. Yeah. So free range routing has PIM? Yes. Yes. See? We didn't cover that one, Ethan. Him, oh, I, I didn't see that on the list at it's, all. Um, but yeah, it's hard to remember sometimes. It's the opposite. It's the easy to forget. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm actually the one who's doing all that work for. So I've I've added Quagga had PIM SSM. Mm-hmm. I added SM support, so you can and it. I mean, it's it's awesome. Everyone should use it. <laughs> Your support and, and, is awesome. I don't know that. Tim is awesome. <laughs> and, 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 see, and again, going back to the whole thing of it being open source and this cool project type thing, here at the ITF, we've been running around getting the right people together to actually implement beer, which, it, which, which is a really cool thing. It, because That actually sets me up to, to another question. I mean, how hard is it and how interesting is it to take emergent features from the ITF like beer, which we've, we've done a recording on, um, and add those in. Would that be like, like, like EIGRP is like a pet passion you have and well, so you're going to put it in. I can actually have an example from this week. I went to the PIM working group on Tuesday. What day is No, Monday, Tuesday, whatever day it was, Tuesday. Yeah, I think it was and, Tuesday. And there was a presentation on PIM interactions with 5549. I've already kind of done... Well, I don't know what that RFC is off the top right, of my so head, 55, but I'll take your word so for it. So 5549 yeah. is um, islands of V4 with V6 connectivity. Ah, okay. And um, and so what happens is that PIM needs V4 direct connectivity, but when you have using 5549, you get back a V6 next hop. Mm-hmm. Right? So so there was a presentation with a draft RFC for for how to solve that problem in PIM. And I last night I went and programmed that in. And I'm going to hopefully be able to do interop testing with uh, with the, the people who put the draft forward today or tomorrow and then commit it in. So, so there is enough flexibility because it is an open source project that if you see a draft that you're interested in, like the example you just gave, you, you could do that, whether that's you, Donald Sharp, or whether that's someone else that's a part of the project. That exactly. It's, it's interested part. I mean, that's how open source really works. It's the power of open source. Someone has some itch and they go and scratch it. Hmm. That's for me also some of the important things on an open source routing stack that for a community like IETF for implementing a new draft for doing proof of concept, there is an open source code there based there to use for that. Hmm. And, and I'll bring this in. One of the really cool things about open source in this context is, is that it can serve as a reference implementation, if you will, for the people who work at vendors. Once it's in an open source implementation, the code is available which then actually goes even further for you people out there listening, all of you people out there listening. What's really cool about it, free range routing, one thing for you is, is you can go to GitHub, download the source code, and when somebody says to you, well, how does OSPF do that? How does that really work? You can wade through 500 pages of RFCs if you want to, or some book or whatever, or if you have 
a copy of Free Range Routing sitting on your laptop like I do, you can actually go, oh, I think I'll go look. Yeah, you just have to read a few thousand lines of code. Yes, but if you understand the code, it's sometimes easier to understand the implementation. And typically that code is going to be written in C? C. It's funny, I was actually looking this morning thinking, I, I need to do some remedial programming coursework to refresh my brain of 20-odd uh, years of not doing programming since college, going, I, C++, I got to go find a class. Yeah. Why? Just to no. remember. <laughs> C, you know C, why. no C. <laughs> Just C, not C++? No, I think, I mean, no. to, no. Uh, to be fair, I think you, you, you choose the appropriate language for what you're doing. That's exactly yeah. right. And, yeah. and sometimes... If you've done a lot of C++ program, do it in C++ because you'll probably develop it much faster. And and traditionally, Rodin stacks are program in C. So now that's now that's changing a lot now. Um, like Snap Route, as I understand, is written in Go. Um, mm-hmm. There's Go BGP. There's, there's Go BGP. There's, there's a few Go implementations. I think Bird's in C++. I could be wrong about that too. Is it C or C++? I, I don't remember. I haven't I don't looked remember. at Bird in a while. But but I was just making the point that if you're a network engineer and you really want to learn how the protocols work, it's really nice to have an open source imp- imp- implementation that you can download and look at and hmm. really understand how this works and not just be sitting there going, well, I need to go read the Cisco Juniper Arista. It, it does kind of imply you can read the code, though. You know, and, well, and Particularly on lower-level code like C, you know, Python's somewhat readable, and so is Perl and, and some others that are higher level. It really abstracts a lot of the complexity away. You get into C, and you know there's a lot of terminology and functionality and granularity there that uh, is no longer hidden from you that you've got to wade through. I'll just say my usual piece here. Grow up and be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, to, to people who are actually thinking about it, don't let the mystique of C stop you from doing it. It's a programming language. If you have the desire yeah. in the mind to do something, yeah. you can do it. Yeah, it's actually the first... Well, I shouldn't say that. I learned small talk, and I learned a couple of other things before I learned C. But I really learned system architecture and how memory works and, and storage and everything when I learned C. I, I spent that, a semester that, in C, and the whole reason I was wanting to go back to that is just to refresh all of that right. knowledge that I really yeah. haven't done much That's with, exactly knowing right. yeah. how fundamental it is and value it would be for any other language I uh, sure. choose to go after. Right. Yeah, exactly. That was my logic. Mm-hmm. So, all right, back to free range routing again. So we 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 were talking about JSON, and we got off on that. Um, well, so. I can fit this into a lot of things. I can do a lot with it. It's very highly performant. Um, it is truly open source. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are backing it now, meaning it's not an open source project that's likely to die anytime soon because there's a lot of companies with commercial interest in making it succeed. Um, there's uh, some some good programmers that are already involved. W- what does the project need right now? Now that this fork has happened, it's fairly new. W- what's it need? Any feature that it's missing. I mean, the one thing... <laughs> The one thing you haven't mentioned yes. in there is obviously I spent most of my time doing the testing part on it, which yeah. talking to like many other routing stack in the open source world, nobody seems to be having the so infrastructure or... You're talking about testing as in we've written new code for FRR that does X and now we need to put it through its paces. Not just that, also just making sure I've done some, uh, things don't break. I do full RFC compliance testing with uh, test suites basically against there. So I have so, like commercial test suites, which I'm using. I do protocol fuzzing there against it. So I, I'd like to, to interject that. I don't think where we'd, we'd be where we are today over the last six or eight months without 
the testing that Martin does and his group does. So I think okay, it's so, very important. So what we're saying here, we're not describing this, uh, again, this is a feature uh, at this point that is a formal part of how uh, new FRR code gets released. There is about basically for every uh, pull request you put in, there is an automatic test that's kicking off, which is about the quick testing, which I call only about one and a half hours, which goes through, builds it on uh, lots of different OSs. It brings up every single routing protocol, does a few key tests in there. It uh, simulates a few topologies, makes sure they're working there. It does like static analysis and all that part. And then on top of that, basically every, basically about two weeks, I run full compliance tests, like multiple day tests of it, uh, making sure they're all compliant and nothing new broke, uh, broke in there. You mentioned protocol fuzzing as well. I mean, so yes. you try to break it too. Yes. You know, it's protocol not- fuzzing for the ones who are not familiar that much. It's really... It's a commercial product I'm using there, uh, which is from Spirant, the one I'm using, which mm-hmm. goes through all the different fields, tries to uh, skip certain fields in there, having fields uh, too long, too short or something, out of range, and going through all these possible iterations there. Things a hacker might send it, possibly. You know, if, they, if they could get that illegally formed frame or packet on the wire uh, and it showed up, what would happen? What would the reaction be? Well, the key thing is you want to make sure that you may, in classic BGP, closing a session, that's acceptable in most cases. The problem is you want to avoid is that the session doesn't come up anymore afterwards or that the BGP demon crashes. Hmm. So it's basically you want to make sure whatever happens, it recovers. I love and that there's yes, that level of thoroughness. Uh, there are things mm. found sometimes there, yeah. and not just in our code if I test other things with it. Mm. So to kind of get back to the, to the, the question mm. that started this is what, what do we need? And, yeah. and we need people to help us do MPLS. We need people to help us do VPN right now. I think those are the two of the, the biggest features that, that most the people talk to me the most about. And we need people to run it and actually play with it and use it for labbing and doing things. You find and, the things that you find in production that don't that never seem to show up, no matter how much testing you do. Right, exactly, and and just be out there using it, you know. And it if they run and into it. an issue, please let us know so yeah. we can like add a new test coverage for that part hmm. and know about it. Now, BGP EVPN. That's a uh, we've talked about that a number of times on the show and and covered that. I think a lot of folks are familiar with that or could get that information pretty quickly. But you say you know we need MPLS. Well. That's a very broad topic. I mean, is there a specific set of features that uh, that you're aiming for, or, or, or use cases that you want um, to I, enable? I mean, so I don't know if there's any particular one that FRR wants to enable. It's just that people are focusing right now on getting MPLS work, and I don't have a specific use case. It's mm-hmm. just where it's, that's where the thought and work right now you is can, mostly being done. You can go to GitHub. You can go to the free range routing. Git repository. There is an issue list um, and feature requests and things like this. And you can actually do a pull request. You can branch, do a pull request, put some code in, and Martin's stuff will run. And we'll see if it succeeds or not and get people to help you put, get the feature running the way it needs to be running. And, and, and so, yeah, let's just talk about the community then. Um, you give, give us a website, GitHub. Uh, where should people be going? To get involved, so uh, and it's uh, free range routing on GitHub. So it's GitHub.com slash free range routing. Okay, and you can find us there. Yeah, and then we right now everything is uh, centered off of that. We'll we'll be announcing 
the official release of. And if you go there, currently you see mainly two branches. One is the stable 2.0, which is basically the stable code, which by the time you listen, people listen to it, that should be out and published. Mm-hmm. And then there is also the master branch, which is the development code. Well, by the time people hear this, there'll be a web page, right, Donald? Yeah, and yes. so that's actually being worked on and hopefully finished up soonish. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it'll all be announced and everything. And and there's even more beyond that. I mean, it's not just a community. It's actually kind of being put under the auspices of the Linux Foundation, um, structurally, just legally, it's being put under the auspices of the Linux Foundation. That hasn't been announced as of this recording either, but that's... That, that, that will, I think that's going to be announced by the time this is published. Yes, the Linux Foundation, where all good network projects go. Yes, and... All the and, best projects go. Yeah. <laughs> and there's... The is we wanted to make sure it's not owned or something, trademarks or anything, by a single entity on it. That it's basically... The it. Linux okay. Foundation is basically, if there is anything dispute or issue in the future, there are the arbiter who basically should right. be able to help us out. And there's issue a governance model uh, as right. well. Yeah. And there's, there's a completely separate fundraising effort that goes behind it, support the testing and the other stuff that goes on here. So there's, there's companies that are paying into, I mean, this is not, you know, we, we talk about open source projects, we talk about coders, but there's a lot more behind a really successful open source project than just the coders who are working on it. There's, foundations and legal stuff and everything else and free range routing has all of that so the community yep. is very it's good good all right guys let's wrap up this show let's score on the table one more time and uh if you're socially active or have a blog or something you'd like to talk about or a book or something please feel free uh donald you, you chuckled starting with you i have nothing nothing <laughs> you're too busy writing code and publishing it all right yeah exactly i, right. I it's i i I don't focus my efforts on public facing other than FRR. So. Yeah, you do real work. Yeah, we get it. So fair enough. <laughs> what about you, Martin? Yeah, I don't really do any blogs either. I actually too busy with the work. There are a few papers about testing or something for the ones who want to know more about how I do testing, which you can probably find, especially if you search for challenges in testing on Clogger. Mm-hmm. You find some old paper, which I wrote about it. Very similar things what I do in free range routing, just more. And better. Oh, okay. What's you, Russ? You can always find me at rule11.us. Rule11.us, yeah. And I sometimes show up on Packet Pushers. You just never can tell when that's going to happen. You do. I'm <laughs> Ethan Banks at EC Banks. This has been the Packet Pushers podcast, uh, the Priority Q channel. Thanks for listening to Packet Pushers today, and th- thanks to uh, Huawei for helping to make this special series from the IETF 98 possible. Just for clarity, this is Free Range Routing. It's an open source project. doesn't really have anything directly to do with the IETF, but hey, we're all here under one roof, so we took the opportunity to record. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog at PacketPushers.net. Follow us on Twitter at PacketPushers. You can find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on iTunes. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough.